0: Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. So this morning, we are going to be in 1 John chapter 1. We're working our way through. If you didn't, or you weren't here last Sunday, you didn't get to hear kind of the opening message for 1 John, I would encourage you to listen to that. It kind of set the tone and the parameters, um, gave, gave kind of the background of the writing of the epistle. Um, so this is written by the same person that wrote the Gospel of John. And so I'm going to go back and forth between the Gospel of John and John and First John, all this year, and I, what I'll do is I'll call one First John, and the other, the Gospel of John, just to clarify, um, but the one, if, if I put a scripture passage up, and it doesn't have a one in front of it, that means it comes from the Gospel, if it does have a one in front of it, it means it comes from the epistle of First John, but written by the same person, and you can clearly see as you study it, and I would encourage you to be doing that, that the, the verbiage and the vocabulary and the words that are used are are the same. It's, it's crazy how similar these are, even though they were written not that far apart from each other, um, but with different kind of focus and different themes that are going on. So 1 John 1, 5 through 7 is what we're going to look at this morning. This is what God's word says to us. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. It's so fascinating to me. I guess it shouldn't be. But <clears throat> one, of the, one of the things that the prayer team does is they get together at, at 930 and they pray for our service. And they pray for what the Lord wants to do. And it, w- it was spoken over us as a church community as we were learning about kind of the movements of God and, and the movement of the Spirit. Um, and this person said to me, he said, at some point, your prayer team, as they seek the Lord, the Lord will begin to show them what's going to happen in your service and what God wants done. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. Um, and so I can tell you, I, I haven't talked, to, I did not talked to the prayer team this morning. I wasn't in there with them. What Dom said is exactly what I'm talking about this morning. I mean, exactly what I'm going to talk to you. Slightly different image, same thing. And at the end of the message, before we take communion this morning, I'm going to invite you to respond to that. And it's it's just around walking. It's around our our life. It's around what's in the way. It's around the things that are getting in the way uh, between us and the Lord. And we're going to just have a time of, of people to, to stand and respond and, and just surrender those things and repent of those things and just be wholly available to God. So I just want to let you know that's coming. And I think that's exactly what Dom uh, was sharing was that we keep trying to do it on our own and we can't. And I don't know what it is. There, there's no age limit to this because you, you keep trying when you're older doing the same thing on your own power. But there's things that only God can do in us. And until we allow him to do it, we're just going to keep like treading water or trying to swim to the surface and, and keep going back down. So um, I want you to, to, to know that that's going on. So, so John begins um, and he transitions from letting the, the, these churches. So John writes these letters, these, these short letters to these churches primarily in Asia Minor. That's where he did most of his ministry. And this is the same John that walked with Jesus, was there in person, that saw the miracles take place. And he starts his his writings that way. He says, hey, I've seen it. I've touched it. I've felt it. I've experienced it. And then he moves from that point, and he moves in his first major teaching point, which is this, that God is light. That's where he starts. Now, light is a major theme in the gospel of, of John and in all of John's writings. Light and darkness. There's this parallel between the two. But light is the fundamental property of the universe created by God. Literally, things cannot exist without light. If there was no light, things life wouldn't live. So life needs light to exist. And one, one of the things that's fascinating that I absolutely love about God is that God uses these everyday images to teach us things. Jesus does this all the time, right? So he's... You know, we read it in, and again, the Gospel of John where he's talking about the vine and the branches and remaining connected in, in, you, and, in, and you, and, in you and me and you and you and me. And I'm almost certain that as Jesus is teaching this to his disciples, he was probably walking by a vineyard. And he just stops and he points to the, to the vines. Because if you've ever seen a vineyard or been to the vineyard, they have these long lines of, of vines and then these small ones that come off that produce the fruit. And he probably stopped, and he pointed to them, and he said, Hey, a relationship with me is like this. And, and John's doing the same thing, but he's using the image of light here. So light is used to illuminate spaces so that one can see. It dispels shadows in rooms when one turns the light on. When you walk into the, to your house, we live in a, in, in a time where electricity is abundant and, and free-flowing, And you can walk into a room that's dark and flip on the lights. And as soon as you flip on those lights, the darkness goes. There's no more darkness in the space. Because light always overcomes the darkness. And so literally, every time you walk into your room tonight and every week. And if you have kids, this is a great thing to do. It's like, God is light. Flip on the switch. And when the light comes into the room, the darkness has to go from the room. It's a reminder to us of the truth of the reality of the kingdom of God that's all around us. It's beautiful. Truth and light go hand in hand in the scriptures. Okay? The, think about the, the enlightenment, the time of, of our history. The enlightenment was a time where things were birthed, new things were created, new ideas came to be. If you the word enlightenment is something that um, I think has been grabbed and used by other religions, and that's true, but simply it means The one who understands truth. So if you're enlightened, you understand what truth is. And actually, depending on the scripture, um, the version of scripture you have, the word enlightenment is very much a Christian word. It's in the scriptures. It's in the text. Um, But it's it's what God does. God is the one who literally enlightens people, humanity, and humankind. But for John, the usage of light and darkness are found all throughout his gospels. All throughout his writings, the epistles, the gospels, he uses it. It's it's a major motif of John. It's not found as much in the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But in John, it's constantly used. It's the main image that he uses for God. But we see it first in the book of Genesis. So Genesis chapter 1 is the first place we have an understanding of light that comes to be. And we read in Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. So literally, God spoke, and in the context to which God speaks... Um, the, the Genesis tells us that, that it was formless and void. There was darkness that covered the earth. And God spoke, let there be light. And it was light. And light came. But What's really fascinating is if you read um, in Genesis 1, the light that comes is not the sun. Because the sun's not created till several days later. So there's literally a light that exists that comes from God, that God created, that is supposed to be. And that light illuminates things. It turns the lights on and it forces the darkness to go. Okay? Light is also associated with um, God, the person of God. So Psalm hundred I'll put it up on the screen. It says this, The Lord wraps himself in light, as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. And so the, the word of God reveals that God is light. Okay? Also, light is associated associated with the word of God itself Psalm 119 105 your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path so literally, literally the word of God and and for the psalmist it was the spoken word of God it wasn't necessarily the written word of God but it's both and the written word of God and the spoken word of God are a source of light to the human race to us as people that's why we need to be spending time in God's word so that we, so our eyes can be opened and we can see in dark places. Obviously, Jesus is the light of the world. And John, the Gospel of John, he says this in John 8, 2. Uh, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus is equating himself with the light. The very same light that came into the darkness in Genesis 1. It's exactly what Jesus is saying that he is when he makes that proclamation that I am the light. There's, there's something... Uh, my wife loves... Uh, how do I say this? Very deep spiritual things. And so if you can... Uh, I'll, I'll sh- I share stuff with the staff team from time to time of conversations that my wife and I have. And several times Shannon has said, I wish I could just be like a fly on the wall in your house and listen to these conversations. It's mostly me listening to her talking, and every once in a while asking clarifying questions, which is, husbands, this is the best way to communicate with your wives, by the way. Just listen and ask clarifying questions, and give eye contact, and just, even if you have to, pretend you're listening as best as you can. <laughs> but she, she reads these books that are beyond me right now, and I'm, I'm hoping to get there at some point. But she came to me once, and she's, she was like, I, I was reading and studying about, um, what was it? Astrophysics, of course, right? As, as you do, as one does. And, um, and she shared this with me. She's like, astrophysicists have learned recently, apparently, that all light has one source. Think about that for a minute. All of light that is seen... By us as human beings, whether it's stars or sun or moon or all those things, all comes from a singular source. So when Jesus says, I am the light, the light of the world, he's literally saying, I am the source of all light that illuminates everything, right? Right? Thanks, Anne, for, for having that desire put in you by the lord um also in the gospel of john chapter 1 in, in his prologue and if you haven't read the prologue of john it's brilliant he says the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world again the true light the, the source of light that john is talking about but john is saying this is what god is like this is the first teaching in first in john god is light we need to get this that god is light On the flip side, in verse 6, he says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. And so he goes from this image of light and then he goes into this image of darkness. Now what is darkness? Darkness is the place of fear. If you remember, right, as as a kid and you wake up at at night and you look around and and all of a sudden you're gripped with fear because you can't see. And you think there's things in your room, which there might be, and there, which there might have was, there was in my rooms, um, but or there's something in the closet, or there's something under the bed, and, and then usually as a kid, you either cry or you try and hide it. But what do your parents do? They come into the room, and oftentimes, what do you do as a parent? You turn the light on. And then you show your kid, look, there's there's nothing there. It's okay. But we have to... That needs to happen as a parent. We know that instinctually. If we turn the light on, then they can actually see. And then what they think is, is there, which may or may not be there. But we turn the light on, we, we show them it's okay. But in the dark places, if we stay in those dark places, then we stay in that place of fear. And then fear takes over and begins to manipulate and control us. And that's, where we, and that's what darkness does. One cannot see in the darkness. Darkness is a symbol of what stands in opposition to God in the scriptures. Okay, darkness is, equates to evil, darkness equates to sin, and especially with John. So you have these two images of light, and you have these images of darkness. Okay, in, in John's gospel, in, in John chapter 3, verse 19 to 21, it says this, this is the verdict, that the light has come into the world. Again, he's talking about Jesus. But people loved darkness instead of the light, because their deeds were evil. And so for John, evil deeds are equated with darkness, Right? And when the light comes into the world, the light exposes those things because it, it reveals things. Light is the revealer, the great revealer. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. So John is using this image of light and darkness and he's saying, hey, those who are, are drawn by the Father... And have an understanding of who Jesus is, they they are drawn into the light naturally because we were created to walk in the light. We weren't created to walk in the darkness. Darkness is a repercussion of sin in the world. And as we walk in dark spaces, we're not able to see. And when we don't see, we stumble and we make mistakes, just like Eric was sharing with the kids. But sometimes we fall in love with the dark spaces. And we're drawn to them because we think they're going to give us life. And so when light shines in, there feels like this repelling that happens because we're so accustomed to the darkness and we don't know what to do with the light. Or we're so ashamed of the darkness and we don't want to surrender and repent. And that's that image that Dom was sharing of trying to do it on your own. right? If you're trying to do it on your own, there's, there's an element of of. Wanting to remain in the dark because I can tell you this from personal experiences in my own life. There are times when you say to yourself either the shame is so great you cannot get, you, you feel like you can't express it because you're afraid of what people will think of you and so you don't say anything and you hide it away. Or we live with this, this myth which is a total lie which is I'll be okay, I'll figure it out on my own. How many of you guys can relate to that? The lie, yeah. It is a lie. And the sh- between the shame and the, the the pride in life, we stay in those hidden places. We stay in those dark places. And it's, I don't think, and, and there, there are some in this world that overtly do evil things, absolutely. But I think the average person, and even followers of Jesus, when they get into those places, it's not that we want to stay in those places, it's just that the power of pride and shame hold us down and drag us back down and drag us back down, when God is saying, "The only way to break the surface is to let me do is to give this over to me and to allow me to do this in your life." I wrote this I'll just read this to you. If you find yourself doing things in secret or in the dark that you feel discouraged about or shame, the Lord wants to set you free this morning. People who walk in the light do not stumble as those who walk at night. Jesus goes on to use this illustration later in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. He says this, And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And it, it's, again, Jesus is brilliant. He uses these simple illustrations, but they're absolutely profound. He says, hey, if you walk around at night, and, and the places where Jesus walked, there weren't concrete sidewalks, right? So he's literally talking about walking, and he's literally talking about paths. These paths had stones on them, and they were uneven, and there was issues there. Um, and if you walk during the day, you could see all those things, and you could navigate those things as they come up. Just because you walk with Jesus doesn't mean obstacles won't be, still be there. It just means that you're able to see them because the Lord is showing them to you because he is the source of light that illuminates them to you. Does that make sense? But if you walk in darkness, you're essentially on your own. You're walking around as if you're a blind person and able to see, and you're left to navigate on your own. But again, that's just shame and pride because the Lord's like, I'm here, and any time you want me to... Come into your room and flip the light switch on. I'm happy to, but it seems like we're kids who are in in beds, who are screaming and asking for our parents to come in because we're afraid. And then the parents come in and, they, and we say, "No, no, no! Don't turn the light on, as I'm afraid of what you're going to see when you turn the light on." But I can tell you something: there's nothing going on in your life that God has not already seen, or doesn't already see right now. So don't be stupid. <laughs> That's my advice to you. Don't be stupid. He already knows, and so to even think that you can hide something from God is just utter foolishness. So why would we hide something from the Lord when the Lord wants to? Li- He's literally standing there at the light switch, saying, "I'm." Any time you tell me, because He won't force it either. That's that's what free will is about. He won't come in and do it for you, or to you without your consent. Because that's what a loving God does. That's what love is. Even though it's complicated and hard. But he's saying at any moment, at any time, when you say the word, I'll turn the lights on. And I'll show. And we'll see. We'll all see what's there. And I can tell you this. From my own personal experience. When you turn the light on. The thing that you thought was impossible. The thing you thought you'd never get over. You'd never conquer. You'd always be stuck in. All of a sudden doesn't seem like that big of a deal anymore because when things are brought into the light they're exposed and the power that they have they lose that's what paul says we're going to read that later in in ephesians but it's the image that jesus shares verse seven but if we walk first john first back to first john verse seven but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus his son purifies us from all sin to walk in the Hebrew culture means a way of which you live your life. It's both and. It's how you do something, but it's also an image. It's a metaphor for how you live your life, how you go about doing things. To walk in light is to walk according to the revelation that God has given you. It's to be obedient to his word. When you're walking in the light, you're listening to this. You're listening to the promptings of the spirit in your life. You're listening to the voice of God. That's walking in the light. That's obedience. And, and I can tell you this, it's a lot easier to do it in, in small chunks, or in small bits, than larger chunks. This is why I think Jesus says to us in the Lord's Prayer, and, and he puts in there, hey, by the way, when you're, when you're praying, ask God to forgive you. One of the best um, spiritual practices that I've ever put into my life was like a decade ago, where I started praying the Lord's Prayer at the end of my quiet time every single day. Every single day. So every single day I come before the Lord and I say, Lord, because I've, I've messed up, I've made mistakes, I say, Lord, forgive me. And then I sit and, and I allow the Lord to show me what it is I specifically need to ask for forgiveness for, the wrongs that I've done. And guess what? He comes in, he's like, sweet, Jimmy, I got this. Turn the light on. Sometimes it's more than just that. We need to do some work that involves going to other people and having conversations, repenting of things. But that's part of community, and that's what community is about. But when we when we get into that place of pride, where we're like, "No, I'm fine. I'll handle this myself." Next day, hey, would uh, asking for forgiveness be a good idea? Probably. But I got this. I'll handle this myself. I'll handle this myself. And and eventually, it builds up to a point. Where the shame matches the pride. And it's, it's what it is. is the enemy holding you down under the water. As Dom gave us that image. But at any moment, the light can be turned on. You are never at a point where God cannot bring you back and redeem you. There is absolutely nothing in your life that you can do that can keep you from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing. And literally, Paul goes through that. He lists everything there is to list, and he's like, there's nothing. Nothing can keep you from the love of God, he says, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But Christ requires a life lived out that reflects one's belief. If you profess, and this is what John is saying, hey, if you profess to be a follower of Jesus, as one who walks in the light, but you walk in darkness, you're a liar. You're not actually doing the thing you said you're doing. And actually, this is, uh, this is what I would say is one of the, the number one reasons why Christianity has such a bad rap in the world is because it, it has a bunch of hypocrites that are hanging out in it. And they're just people, because I'm, I'm there too. But can you imagine if we lived out, and this is not about living a, a life that is mistake-free or sin-free, although I do believe that is possible when you have a relationship with Jesus. It's about owning and saying, Man, I I messed up here. Forgive me. It's about modeling what what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus and to say, actually, I did mess up here, but in Christ, I'm redeemed. And I confess that. I'm right with the Lord. Man, I'm back at it again. Again, it's that stubborn nature that tries to do it on its own. But there's an expectation that, that God has of us that if we make a proclamation of faith, we need to walk in that truth. And he doesn't leave us to our own in order to do that. He gives us everything we need to accomplish what he's called us to accomplish every time, which is beautiful. And it's clear that God expects that one who walks in faith walks in light. Paul says this to uh, the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 5, 8-13. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes light. Once we give our lives to Jesus... Desire, God puts it a desire in our heart to walk in that light space. And we need to do that. There's this beautiful imagery in, in John. One of the powerful um, images of, of John for light and darkness is actually blindness, the inability to see. And several times, um, Jesus heals people with blind eyes. Okay? He lays hands on them, literally, they see. Corey told us a story about he got to pray for a woman who was blind. And she didn't leave blind after he got to pray for her. That's, that's one of, like, I mean, think about that for a minute. Mind-blowing. So Jesus in John chapter 9, I'll let you, you read the story on your own. But he heals a man that's born blind. And in that culture and in that society, if you had an issue like that, if you're lame or you're blind, the culture cared for its people. That was part of what it meant to be Jewish. And but you were given a symbol, a cloak to kind of wear, which was was the image of um, you were allowed to ask for help or ask for money, and, and you were usually given an area or a spot that you could be in, and you'd sit in that spot, and every day you'd come to that spot and you'd ask for help, you'd beg, right? So Jesus is walking along, and there was a man who was who was blind, and he was there begging, and the disciples have a conversation about why he's blind, and Jesus. Gets to that, and we're not going to get into that. But Jesus lays hands on him, and his, his, his eyes are healed, and he's no longer blind. He can see now. So again, it's this image of going from darkness into light. I couldn't see, now I can see. Now here's what I want us to get out of this image. There's a whole like court case that goes on with the Pharisees and this and that. But here's what we learn in the story. The man doesn't go back to the spot he was at before, to sit there and beg for money anymore, after he can see. Okay, that seems obvious, right, Jimmy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you give your life to Christ, and Jesus comes into your life as your Lord and Savior, you were in the darkness, you were blind, and then you see. When you perpetuate, you when you live in a place of perpetual sin, you're going back to that spot and you're sitting in a spot as if you're still blind begging for money. When you're no longer blind and you don't need to beg for anything anymore. But we do that because we think we have to do it on our own. We think we're resigned to, well, I had this great thing and I screwed it up, so I need to return to the place I was before. But again, that's just, it's a lie. But the same is true of us. If we are shown the truth... And yet return to the old ways. We're living in foolishness just like a, a blind man who could see. If we, we all knew that blind man and we'd by him and we saw him back in his spot, but he could see, we'd say to him, what are you doing there? You don't need to sit here anymore and beg for money. You have, you have sight. And yet, how many of our brothers and sisters are doing the exact same thing and we just walk by them and we let them be instead of saying, brother or sister, you don't need to stay there anymore. You can see. Stand up. Let's, let's together be restored in the Lord. And let's move forward. Because this is what God has called us into. I want to I leave you with this verse in Isaiah 60. When, you, when you're young in the faith and you're reading through the gospel, you, you primarily spend time in the, old, in the New Testament. Reading through the gospels, reading through Paul's writings. Those are all great things. But as you mature in the Lord, you begin to venture to the left more and more. And as you venture to the left, you begin to realize that a lot of the things that have been in the Gospels that Jesus says or in Paul's writings have already been said before. They just take a lot more work to find. But when you're hungry enough, you go searching for it and you find it. Okay? I just read a bunch of things about light and darkness to you from from John and from Paul. Listen to what Isaiah says. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus arrives as a human being. And Paul was writing. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. He's talking to Israel, the nation of Israel. See, darkness covers the earth. And thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. What is Isaiah saying to the people of Israel? He's saying, Yeah, the world is covered in darkness. We know that. That's the sin, the consequences of sin in this earth, and the enemy is it's a playground for the enemy. But the Lord comes and brings light. And when the Lord comes and brings light, it's not just that God comes and he brings light and it's all taken care of. Actually, the Lord comes and begins to enlighten people one at a time. Or as communities of faith. And then the expectation is that those communities and those people would begin to be the light. And that nations would be drawn to those lights. Because those nations that are in darkness, we begin to see the light. Jesus uses this illustration as well. He, he talks about a city on a hill. And he said a city on a hill puts its light out so people, travelers can see. Have, have, I don't know if you guys have had experiences like this before, but um, if you travel in America and you're, and you're heading from east from here to west, there's barren like desert land where there's nothing going on. Like literally highways... Nothing out there but stars, and, and you can see off in the distance. I remember I took a trip in college with some friends of mine, and we drove down the Baja Peninsula in Mexico. And we did the thing you're not supposed to do, which is to drive at night. They always tell you don't drive at night, because literally there could be like a cow on the road, and all you have is your headlights. In, in the Baja Peninsula, there are cities. It gets to a point where there are cities like 400 miles away from each other, 300 miles. There might be a gas station in between cities forever away, and uh, we were driving through the night, and there were three of us, and we were rotating. one would sleep in the back, and the other two would, would stay up, and the person would drive, and then passenger would talk to each other, and we'd be, just be staring at nothing, just darkness, stars. and we have our own headlights, and so we actually chose to drive slow, plus we had an old Volkswagen van, so you don't want to drive those things too fast. And, um, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere. We'd like crest a hill, and we'd see lights off in the distance. And we knew. There's the, we, we had a map, because they didn't have GPS at the time. There's no smartphones. It was old school. And uh, we'd see, and we'd be able to go. We'd say, there it is. And it would still take hours and hours to get there. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You ever driven like that before? It's, it's almost eerie, because we live around so much light, unless you li- guys li- who live out in the country. Um, you know what this is like, because you live this every day. But uh, the same is true. And what Isaiah is saying, he's like, as believers in God, when you give your life to Christ, when, that, when the light of the world illuminates you, you become like a city on a hill. And people will come to you because they're in the darkness and they see a light, even if it's off in the distance. And some of us have a light that shines bright and it's easy to see. And others have a light that's dim. And it's harder to see, but you still have light. The light never goes out, and it cannot go out. Once God comes into your life, you have that light, and you can't get rid of it. There's nothing you did to get it. There's nothing you can do to get rid of it. Okay? But people see that light, and they're drawn to it. Because humanity was designed to live in that light, in relationship with God. And as you... As a person of a follower of Jesus, you have a responsibility and an obligation to be a light in this world. Jesus says, eventually, he says, I am the light of the world. That's how he starts his ministry. At the end of his ministry, he goes, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. God will always be, there's always only one source. That's Jesus. Right? But when you give your life to Christ... He becomes your light, and you become a light to the world. And it says that nations will come to find that light. You need to have faith enough to believe that you have something to offer the people in your life. Let me say that again. As it's silent in this room. I'm preaching to Kelly right now. Yeah. We have to come to a place as followers of Jesus. Where we truly believe that when God comes into us, when we give our lives to Jesus, that the light, the light, the source of light it now dwells within us. And you have something to offer the world. And Christ in you is the hope of this world. Right? It is. It is the only hope. Here's a beautiful thing. One last image and then I'm going to share something and then we're going to go into a time of prayer and communion. Back to Genesis chapter 1. I thought this was really fascinating. I wanted to share it with you, especially with some of you guys who might be struggling with. I don't know what to, I I believe you, Pastor Jimmy, that what you say is true of me. But I I wrestle to to feel like I have anything to offer. And this is such a lie. It's not true, but we, we, we have to struggle through this. In the book of Genesis, I don't know if you recognize this or not. God creates, and as God creates, God establishes days, right? Are you with me? So it says he creates, and then it says the end of the day, and then it says, and it was evening, and it was morning, right? Still to this day, the Jews believe that this day starts at night. We believe that the day starts when the sun comes up, at least I do. In the Western culture, that's kind of how we operate, even though we know it starts at midnight, but... I can tell you, I'm not up at midnight welcoming the day. I'm up when sometimes the sun is up, but now it's even rougher, right? I'm up and it's still dark. But, uh, but it feels like the day starts when the sun comes up. And then the day ends when the sun goes down. You guys with me? Kind of? Okay. The Jews don't ascribe to that model. <clears throat> and here's why it's helpful. They believe that the day starts at, at night, because that's what Genesis 1 says. And then it ends uh, in the light, and we say, "Like, oh, that's different." I have to wrap my head around this. Here's here's why I want you to get this. That is literally every day for a Jew is the ultimate model of what God does in the world. Let me say that again. Every day for a Jewish person is the understanding of back from Genesis one, that things start in darkness. But I know they're not going to end that way. Right? So every day we start in the darkness. But God is good and faithful and loving. And every day is a reminder that we are ending in the light. Instead of ending in the dark. I know. Thank you. Somebody. What I want to encourage us to, to come to this understanding is the same is true for us. So if you're in that place where it feels dark right now, there's, there's like elements of it. Like when the sun starts to... to to like we can see before the sun comes up, right? If you're up early enough, you know that. And actually when the sun goes down, you can still see. There's a period in between. And so some of you might be in that period where you can barely see, but you know the sun's coming. And some of you might be walking in a point right now where you can see just fine because it's high noon and you're like, I'm walking with the Lord and life is good. And some of you might be on the other end, but it doesn't matter. All that that matters is, no matter what happens, in the end, we'll end in light. And every day is a reminder that although it gets dark, and there's shades of that darkness before the sun comes up, but we will end in light. And actually, in Revelation, I didn't—I left this out of my notes, but I, I, so I can't tell you exactly where it is. But at some point in the Book of Revelation, it says. No longer will we need the sun, the light that governs the day nor the light that governs the night because God will be the light for all mankind and the new heaven and the new earth become one. I want to end by just speaking this over you. This is what I felt like the Lord said to me this week as I I was working on this. And so I want to read this to you and I want to read this over you and I invite you just to hear this, okay? It says this, I am the one who reveals things to you who turns the light on in your life so that you can see the truth of what is around you. I will reveal things to you in your life that you need to deal with. Get rid of so that it is no longer in the way between you and I. What I reveal to you, I do so out of love. Father, we say thank you. We thank you that you are the light. That you are the, you are the source of source. Not only the light, but the source of all light. And we thank you for the light that came into the world to be like us in every way, except without sin. And Jesus. And we thank you that you made a way for us to be forgiven and made right with you so that the light could be turned on in our rooms again and we could see. So, Father, we lay before you the sins that we struggle with. Jesus, you say, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And yet, Lord, there are so many people that walk with a profession of faith and are bound. And you say that that should not be so. And yet pride gets in the way. And shame overshadows us. And drags us back down. Holds us underwater so that we can't breathe and we can't experience you in the way and that you can't use us in the way that you want to use us. And Lord, we want to say we're we're done with that. We want to invite you to come and turn the light on in our lives. Even if it exposes the hard things. We want that. So Father, I pray for those who are in this space right now and struggling with things. Lord, would you bring your freedom into this room right now in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.